You're listening to Subconscious Mind Mastery with Thomas Miller, and I am joined in the studio today by my brother of a different mother, Daniel DeNovi. <laughs> Welcome back. Hi, Thomas. It's really, I haven't seen you in forever. I know. I think the last time we saw each other was in this room, actually. What, six months ago? Yeah, something like that. So it's great to have you on the podcast again. And we have a couple of things that we're going to talk about. And one of them is, of course, this upcoming trip to Sedona, which you are co-hosting with me now. And since you mentioned it to me, I'm so excited about the potential that lies ahead for all of us. Oh, it's we're going to talk about that in the next few minutes. And Leslie Thornton from Albany, New York, who you're going to just fall in love with, she is also going to help us with some things that she specializes in. I'll do a separate podcast with Leslie, but uh, right now I wanted to talk to you because, number one, we had a scheduled get-together <laughs> anyway, right. so for us to catch up. Dinner and drinks after this. And then, yeah, we're going to go uh, consume some alcohol after this. <laughs> <laughs> which conscious. we're going to do in, uh, in Sedona, too. We're going to have a little wine and cheese party on the patio, which is going to be amazing. But one of the reasons that you came to mind, and I'm glad that all of this clicked in and there are so many things that we'll talk about here in the next few minutes about the trip and about what we're going to accomplish what our intentions are i did some coaching with fred dotson back in december and one of the things that fred picked up on in the coaching i mean fred was just amazing whenever you get coaching from a guy that is incredibly intuitive you're in trouble, <laughs> right? Well, you can't hide. No, you can run, but you can, <laughs> he's going to just nail you, right? So one of the things that Fred picked up on was that he wanted me to work on, purposefully work on being more present. So as I was meditating on that and thinking about it in Sedona, your name just kept coming to mind. And it dawned on me as I was thinking about that and presence that when you and I first met about five years ago, you exude, your aura just exudes the word presence. And I could see that from across the room before I even knew who you were. Hmm. I'm almost likening it. It'll be interesting for the people that come join us on the trip, what they think. Not that we're analyzing, but you know, it's just an interesting observation. The reason you came to mind, I think that your presence to me matches the kind of presence if Wayne Dyer would could be in the room. Oh, that is a great compliment. It would be that type of presence. To me, it's described as immovable, internal, not fixated on what's going on around you, but what you are going to do is will come from inside and you'll respond properly to what's outside of you, but it's not going to shake you and it's not going to move you and disrupt you. You also have just a calmness that is attractive. Hmm. So all of those things combined, I thought, what a better area. Here Fred is prompting me to focus on this. Here, you completely own it, put the two together, and I would imagine that a lot of people would be interested in developing presence, and what a better place to scratch the surface of that than Sedona. It's the perfect place to become present and connected to the planet in subtle energy and really accept your own power. Um, I, this presence, though, for me, hasn't always been there. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So is it is it conscious that you have arrived at this? Is it something you've worked on? I, 
Tell people, first of all, things about you like hypnosis, NLP, firewalking, etc. Well, I originally got involved in hypnosis when I was 13. And it happened most awkwardly as a young 13-year-old wanting to get girls. <laughs> and oh, the truth comes out. I saw Bella Lugosi on, you know, Dracula. <laughs> and he has this damsel in his arms and he's looking at her and says, "Look into my eyes." And she just, "Oh." I said, "I got to find out how to do that. <laughs> I want me some of that." <laughs> so I saved up all my pennies and my dimes and my quarters to get the 695, which took 6 weeks or or more because I had a paper out. But still, six ninety five was a lot of money. Six dollars and ninety five. Six dollars okay. and ninety five cents for this <laughs> thirteen year old terms hypnosis pamphlet that I I ordered out of the back of I think Popular Mechanics or something oh, like that. Oh my word! And that was my first introduction to altered states. Hmm. And I would hypnotize my brothers. I, I remember you I'm telling the me. Oldest of four boys, <laughs> and they played along in the beginning, and it was great practice. But soon they became bored with my efforts. And it would have nothing to do with me. So I began to turn my focus on myself. Okay. And I just got curious about how deep in trance could I get? Mm -hmm. And I would be in trance for three, four hours. I would levitate my hand and imagine that I have a hundred helium balloons tied to my wrist and my hand would slowly raise up and it would levitate in space, just holding it out there for at first 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and up to three hours. After that, it just becomes boring. Goodness. But this whole exploration of inner space, I became extremely fascinated with because you just don't know where it is. What, what are the boundaries? Where are the limits? Yeah, it's unlimited. Just like you, can, you cannot even fathom the edge of space, outer space. It's the same on the inside. Yeah, yeah, that's and it, cool. It's as deep and as much breadth as outer space has, inner space has. So that I be, I practice a lot with hypnosis in my teens. Uh, I was naturally, I don't know if I was naturally shy. Uh, I'm an introvert. I, I restore my soul by being alone. But I became very self-conscious, which is the opposite of, of having or being present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're, so, you're so focused on the inner um, the inner voice, the inner talk. Uh, you're not good enough. I wonder what they're thinking about me. And, and that builds anxiety mm -hmm. to the yeah. point where I've, I had a couple anxiety attacks. Wow. Which are not pleasant. <laughs> they're, they're not. It, it, you feel almost completely incapacitated in the presence of somebody else. And you feel completely naked. So I decided that I needed to shift that for myself because I wanted to do great things and you can't do that sitting on the sidelines. Right. And so over the years, becoming more and more present, becoming more consciously aware has been pretty much my life mission. My, would you like to know what my life mission is? Have Bef I ever told you? Before you do, I want to know the most important question though. Okay. Did you get the girls? And then some. <laughs> What's your life mission? <laughs> I realized that in my late teens, I kept asking the question, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? And everyone said to be happy. Well, I realized that, that most people at the end of their life weren't very happy. Mm -hmm. 
And then somebody, in fact, it was Wayne Dyer. Oh. <laughs> he was one of the first public speakers I ever saw. Well, how about that? When I was 18. Really? And he said, happiness is not a destination. It's a way of traveling. Wow. And so I realized that I needed to be happy in the progress. And so if happiness isn't the real destination, what is? Well, for me, it's to realize all that I can be, to realize my potential. Hmm. But who knows what that is? So this is the way it goes in my head. My life is committed to be all I can be. Yet knowing in any given moment, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. So it pulls me into the next moment. And no matter what level I am right now, I can be satisfied with whatever I attain. But no, there's something more. There's something greater, something more fantastic, more amazing, more miraculous. Hmm. Interesting. That's great. You know, what else impresses me here is that you clued onto this when you were a teenager. I was oblivious to this when I was a teenager. You know, it took me f- almost five decades to figure this out. But you got it as a as a 13-year-old. That's amazing. Well, I don't know if I got it, got it, but I, was, I had the question. And yeah. it, it really was born out of uh, not not liking myself Hmm. of having this like a a not necessarily shattered self-image but it was kind of inferior i i felt awkward and i was very much in my head um might as well go into this story okay basically the genesis of this whole journey uh happened when i was 13 Mm -hmm. and my mother said you know you're going to be a teenager would you like to have a birthday party and it like woke me up in a moment because before that I had just kind of like always been in my head and always this internal dialogue and not really interacted with people. Well, in that moment, I took an assessment of all my friends and everybody I knew and figured out who I could invite and then who would actually show up and realize that virtually nobody would. <laughs> and so you thought like, in that it was that quick. And I just said, no, I'm not interested in party. Hmm. But I realized that I didn't have any friends. I didn't know enough people that I felt friendly enough with that I felt comfortable inviting them to my birthday party. So I began reading books, how to win friends and influence people, how to hypnotize people. Oh, my goodness. It was interesting. Uh, the, the title of this book was How to Hypnotize People, Women, and Animals. <laughs> and I always thought that was it. You know, it didn't really dawn on me till much later that they didn't even include women in that category of people. They, they were niching that one for sure. That was before all these internet sites that you, you know, talk about that. But after hypnosis, I, in this constant uh, questioning of how can I become better? How can I master my mind? How can I master my spirit? Uh, I got involved in NLP when I was 28. Okay. And I became certified as a just a regular NLP practitioner. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I went back the following year. Now this at this is at a time when NLP wasn't a 4-day certification course. Okay. It was 21-day immersion. Oh. Wow. And so I went to Princeton and immersed myself in the NLP in the world of NLP and it really rocked my world. It it I realized that I was at the the helm and the master of my presence and my destiny. And so I went back the next year and became a master practitioner and then a trainer and then incorporated hypnosis, Ericksonian hypnosis. And so it's been a continual progress in developing myself and becoming more of a leader and leaving the corporate world and starting my own coaching business. And 
I now find myself in your presence. You also led some groups on firewalks. I mean, you've done a firewalk or two. Yes. <laughs> How uh, many? In, in 1988, well, <laughs> I have walked across burning hot coals almost 600 times. <laughs> there you go. I lost track somewhere wow. in the middle there, uh, but I calculated it's right about 585, 590. Gee whiz. Somebody just recently asked me, oh, why don't you make it 600? Uh, I think 580 is enough. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't walked for in a couple years. Yeah, you've taken a break. Uh, I know that. But I first walked in 1988, hmm. and that was part of a, a breakthrough experience in stepping outside my comfort zone and really creating a revolution with myself. Hmm. I felt like I was in a rut, and I just wanted to shake things up. And firewalking was – it provided me that initial experience, and I knew there was something there. So I began seeking out other teachers, and over the next um, 20 years, well, not quite 20, uh, I sought out teachers all around. And then when I left my corporate job in 2004, I went to the father of American firewalking, Tali Burkan, hmm. and I learned how to be an instructor of the firewalk experience. This really is crafted for you to be where you are, it sounds like. You've been working on this for your life. For- Basically, for a lifetime. To be truthful, it's it's not well. My my state or in, in uh, ex- ever expanding awareness has been crafted, but not necessarily consciously. It's really born out of that intention to realize my full potential or to be the best that I can be and know at any given moment. So, if something leans me in that direction of realizing all that I can be, or it helps expand something, I have to seek it out. In that regard, I'm, I'm a seeker or I'm a learner, but I realized, oh, probably five years ago, that in continually being a seeker, you don't really own who you are in that moment. Because there's always a, something uh, just around the corner or something, a shine, more shiny piece around that catches your attention. And without really owning your sense of self and being comfortable in your own skin. I think that's where that sense of presence comes. I've actually arrived at a point where I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like I have to impress somebody else. I don't feel like I need their approval. And that really gives you a sense of presence and you recognize it in people. It's, it's that source of charisma is that, that presence. Mm -hmm. And not only, and being comfortable in your own skin, but being present in the moment and being present with somebody else and looking them in the eye and hearing each and every word that they're saying and hearing the nuance in how they express themselves and what is the message behind the message. When you think about teaching this to other people, what are some thoughts? So we've been discussing this as you're going to lead some group sessions. You're going to express this. You're going to teach us in Sedona. What are some of the things that you've thought about or that you've done in the past where you communicate how to be present? Well, one is uh, is a short meditation, actually getting reacquainted with your body. Most people have a body, but they're not in their body. Mm-hmm. And they, their mind is every place else except connected to the messages and the intuitive guidance and the energetic fluctuations inside their body and knowing what the difference is from moment to moment. And so part of that is just learning to pause and pay attention, just tuning your focus. Conscious awareness is just opening up to becoming aware of 
more than what you're currently aware of and not necessarily labeling it or categorizing it. Just start noticing. So that's one. I'm going to bring my broken glass. So people will have the opportunity to walk across barefoot, broken shards of glass. Okay. Now, I've had hundreds of people do this. No one has ever cut their feet. But we'll, it, we'll do that the last event. <laughs> I, actually, I, I, think it should, I think it should be one of the first I events. think you're right. Be, I think you're right. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's more than just a parlor trick. In order to do it, a person has to be completely present yeah. in that moment yeah. to do it comfortably. What a great way to start it out, for sure. And then there's some group exercises of just um, being with and looking at the other person in the eye and not saying anything and just being present for somebody else. If you've ever done that, that's a deadly exercise. If I don't know how many folks listening have ever done that where you, I mean, you do it for a long time, extended contact. I've seen people do that and start weeping and seen people do that and develop instant lifelong friendships like brotherhood type or sisterhood type friendships. And, and not a word was spoken. Right. Right. It's, It's amazing. We've all heard it. You know, the eyes are the windows to the soul. Yeah. And so when we have that intense eye contact with somebody else, we feel vulnerable. We feel naked. Mm -hmm. And we feel like we have to say something, like we have to fill the silence. But you can see in there. You can. And it is quite perceptive. And then sometimes, I've seen it as well, where people do it and there's not a connection. There's actually a disconnection. They get uncomfortable with it. And that's, that's all being about present on what's coming up for you. Mm-hmm. Like there's no real goal or desired outcome of the exercise except for you to become present to what's coming up for you. And that's what I see the whole Sedona trip being is an exploration to inner space. And sure, the scenery is beautiful and the energy is going to be dynamic and you're going to meet people and People that you'll probably, like you probably said before, that lifelong friendships or connections, uh, brother from another mother or sister from another mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned um, we were talking about the dates, you know, and getting any group of people to clear five days of their calendar is a remarkable feat in and of itself. Right. Especially today. But you had some really good comments about how to frame up these dates that we've chosen of April 20th through the 24th. Well, it really comes from how you uh, were able to secure the rooms to begin with. When we first talked on the phone, it was questionable whether or not you'd even be able to get the rooms. I had to go to several hotels, (laughs) to be honest. It's their busy season. I think we said then, if it was going to be a real struggle, an uphill battle to get these rooms, these blocked out, then, you know, let's seek another date. Mm-hmm. But if you can get the rooms, then it's a done deal. Right. And that whoever can be there, whoever can arrange their life in such a way in order to be present, then they're the ones that are supposed to be there. And if the dates don't work out and they can't change their life around to make it work, then they come to a different event. And there will be other ones. This is the warm-up. There's, there are going to be quite a few others. You uh, mentioned that in correlation to other events that you and I have attended together. You and I met at Landmark Education. And as you say, here are the dates. 
And then you you have to make those dates work. You have to make that particular time work. Yeah, a lot of people say, well, the dates don't really work for me because I had some other plans. And if you really want to be somewhere, if you really want the course, you really want the material, you make your life work. You, you change things around in order to make the schedule work. Instead of adapting the schedule to your life, you adapt your life to the schedule. You adapt. The, if you found out the Dalai Lama was going to be in your neighborhood, yet you had other plans, would you change them? In order to be there, whether it's the Dalai Lama or somebody else, maybe it's Madonna, you know. But if it was somebody that was important or you had a hot date, you would move things around in order to be with that person. People do it all the time. Tell us about your Sedona experience. I was speaking to you earlier that I think that this weekend that we're creating can be a seminal event. It can be one of those hallmark moments that people kind of mark in their calendar of their life and look back on and say, yeah, everything changed after Sedona. (laughs) That is so cool. And if you don't think that Sedona doesn't have the firepower to do that, (laughs) you said it had a foundational experience with you. I know it did with me last year, but I want to hear about yours. Well, back in 97, I was in corporate America and I was had been burning my candle at both ends. And I was burnt out, worn out, spiritually depleted. Mm. And I had secured a month off in October. I said, screw everybody else's schedule. I don't care about taking vacation in the summer. And at the time I had six weeks of vacation. And so I took four weeks. And the first two weeks I just did some things around the house. I watched movie after movie. But I knew I was going somewhere, but I didn't know where. Hmm. And I had several options, and I was just going to turn it over to the universe to inform me on when I was going to go or where I was going to go. So I was driving to the store, and on the radio comes Paul Harvey. (laughs) Now, Paul's pretty conservative. (laughs) Yes. Or was. And he began talking about a spiritual hotbed called Sedona. Oh, my goodness. Where there were more clairvoyants per square mile per uh, per person uh, than any place else on the planet. And they talked about the energy of the place and people raved about these uh, energy vortexes. Paul Harvey was talking Paul about Paul Harvey this. said this. Well, of course, you know, he had a, uh, his winter place was just down the road. I didn't know that. Yeah, he had a, he spent half the year in Scottsdale. Oh, well, it makes a little more sense. So he was he would have been aware of it and certainly been there. You know he was there. But it happened the moment I was in that question, How where was that? I going to go? That's amazing. So I decided I was going to Sedona. So I flew into <laughs> I and I had never been to Vegas. <laughs> I love that. So I flew into Vegas and the whole intention is what I call the Nestee plunge into the hands of God <laughs> or the universe. <laughs> And the way it worked out, I flew into Vegas. It was late at night, and I rented a car, and I went to the top of the strip, and I drove through, and that was my experience of Vegas. Goodbye. I just, I just drove down the strip. <laughs> yeah, goodbye. And I found a hotel at the very end and stayed there the night, got up early the next morning, and then I was off to Sedona, driving down through Hoover Dam and on Route 66 into Flagstaff. Beautiful. And there's too many experiences to really go into, but when I say that it was the nest he plunge in the hands of God, I really didn't have an agenda. And it was entirely based upon what came up, who I talked to, 
what my current, my current question was, I wanted to have a profound spiritual experience and get connected with the planet and reclaim my spiritual energy. So that was my whole intention. So there would be animals that would show up that would guide me in a different direction. Hmm. Uh, And when I finally made it to Sedona, I had just allowed it to come up. And again, it was in late October, one of the busiest times of the year. And I got in there late and there was no rooms. Mm-hmm. felt like, you know, J- Joseph, like and Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary, yeah. <laughs> There's no room I, for Daniel. Hotel after hotel. And uh, I wandered into this, I can't even remember the name of the hotel, but I went in and as I was in, there was somebody standing at the counter and the front desk clerk said, I'm sorry, there is no more rooms. And I thought I would ask to see if there was any, if she knew of any other rooms in the city and she had something going, she says, I'll be right back. And I sat down and she came back out to the front desk and the phone rang and she answered it and was talking, talking and put the phone down. And I said, do you know if there's any rooms near about, Oh, we just had a room open up. Bingo. And that is exactly how my trick trip unfolded. I ended up being in Sedona for five days. And first day I thought, well, I'm going to go to the library and I'm going to find out about this place. This is before the internet mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. You know, my cell phone was, you know, just a flip phone. I was going to say probably the size of a lunchbox. <laughs> that was my first cell phone. <laughs> but this, then. this was a flip phone. So there was, it was basically dumb, you know, yeah. a, a dumb phone. So I was going to go to the library to research. I just learned more about Sedona because I went there on a whim. Well, I, I got tangled up and I missed the library and I ended up Longington Canyon. Oh, wow. So I, I went there and I hiked and I sat on, a, on the edge of a rock and I meditated and went back to the hotel and I was going to go to the airport Mesa, mm-hmm. which is the other vortex the next day. And as I'm leaving... Uh, in my Ford Taurus, there was a raven that flew across the hood of my car going back towards Longington Canyon. So I said, I'll head back there. <laughs> so I was literally following the you know the wind, and I ended up in Boynton Canyon, right, which is kind of next door. And then I meditated at the Kachina Woman and had the phenom- most phenomenal meditation uh, in one of those hallmark experiences, you know, that's one of the meditations you remember forever. And there's a small, the Kachina woman, if you don't know what it is, is this tall rock red spire with a huge boulder sitting on top of it that just kind of precariously balanced on top. Well, near the base, well, about halfway up, not really the base, you have to climb up a ways, maybe 30 feet. And there's this little alcove that's cut out in a rock. And I crawled up in there and I sat and I just, it's almost felt like one of those statues of the Catholic church of one of the saints. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm meditating in this little alcove in this rock and I could feel the energy pulsate through me. Kachina woman's considered to be one of the more powerful vortexes. I was going to say you were in a real hot spot right there. And I heard something and I opened my eyes just a little bit. And the trees across the, the valley there were just a flame of energy. Purples and greens and yellows just shimmering off the top. 
I'd never seen uh, an aura before that of the planet. Yet everywhere I looked, I could see the energy just shimmering. And it must have been the next moment right after that, I heard the call of an eagle. And I looked up and just over the edge of the cliff to my right, a golden eagle flew down, swooped maybe 20 feet in front of me, did a nice bank, and then flew back again in front of me and back up over the cliff. Wow. And... You know, I, I'm a firm believer in totem animals, and that was my spiritual connection. I was definitely regaining, and it was a spiritual messenger, that I was in the right place at the right time. You got me almost choked up. That's beautiful. That's incredible. I, mean, I, I could go on and on, experience, several experiences like that. That's Sedona. It is. That's the power of Sedona. Sedona will grab you and bring you right where you need to be you were there for refreshment you needed you needed that encouragement when i went there last year i was looking to get away what i was doing was resisting the crowds i was resisting the infrastructure and sedona dealt with me on the point of resistance for a week Hmm. so it will meet you wherever you are absolutely absolutely one one more experience in boynton canyon I hiked all the way to the end and just, this is part of being present. And what uh, uh, many monks have talked about is a, a walking meditation. Yes. So I became very present of each and every step and just that, and felt that whole connection to the planet and knowing that this was in a, in a very special place. I hiked up as all the way to the end. And then I started climbing up towards the end of the, uh, the canyon to I, I remember sitting there um, intrigued with my own lack of fear or the height that I was sitting at, thinking that this was like an eagle's view. And at that moment, I heard two eagles. I looked up, and they were both flying around right over top of me in a circle, probably 100 feet up. And it was such a, a magical moment of connectedness and affirmation that I can only imagine what's going to be available for our participants. And I started climbing down after this and I heard a couple people coming up the trail and they said, the ranger's coming through and getting everybody out because it's getting dark. Well, I'd never been in the Canyon before, you know, I said, okay, it's getting dark. Well, when the sun goes down, it goes down. <laughs> it was black. Yeah. And the moon hadn't quite come up yet, so there, it was, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Very dark. I could just barely make out the trail. Yeah. And I was, became questioning, curious, how was I going to get out of here without getting lost? Well, at that moment, I heard the chip or chirp of a scrub jay in mm. a bush up to my left. And as I walked up to it, it flew ahead of me to my right in a bush across the path. So I decided to follow that scrub jay. It led me out of the canyon. My goodness sakes. How about that? That's beautiful. You've really captured what Sedona is all about. It's about inside first, but being embraced in this amazing energy from the earth. 
that will lead you and guide you where you need to go. If, if you haven't been in a high-energy place, it's really hard, almost difficult to ex- describe exactly what the feeling is like. Um, sometimes it's like a little dizziness. Sometimes you feel the vibration in your body. Sometimes you have this clear, crystal clear awareness. And it, it really moves through you. It's almost like being at the hands of a, a powerful energy healer. Mm-hmm. and allowing that energy to move through you and allow your own body and soul wisdom to utilize that energy in the most effective, amazing way for you. That's a great way to express it. I felt it very strongly this time at the top of Cathedral Rock. Last time, when I was there last year, I didn't go up to the top. I went to the uh, state park, which is by the river. Equally a phenomenal experience. But the energy at the top of Cathedral Rock is incredibly strong. And it was it was a little bit, I mean, almost a little bit like I kept could I couldn't get my bearings. It was that strong. Hmm. So I didn't walk out on the little plank that goes out to the side. I was like, I'm a little wobbly here. I'm just gonna stay right here. But yeah, very strong. You know, it, it may sound like this happened just yesterday. I was just thinking as you were talking about this, this this memory is 20 years ago, yet is it's as vivid today as it was, you know, as it was then. Have you ever been to Mount Shasta? I have not. Okay. I'm going to take you. We'll do one there. Awesome. All right. Because as I was reading about this, there are chakras and there are vortexes. So the chakra energy is from the outside down to the earth. The mm. vortex energy is up out of the earth. And of course... Sedona is the most powerful vortex energy in the United States. Shasta, many say, is represents the crown chakra. Oh, wow. It is that strong. And there's no telling. I mean, you'll see things in the trees at, at Shasta. You'll, Shasta is alive. It's amazing oh, what happens phenomenal. there. Yeah, so we'll have to do one. And it's not a touristy area either. You're only going there for one thing. And that's one of the separations of this trip, too, is there's a tourist element to Sedona. That oh, there's beautiful shops there and just Oh, there's jewelry. some galleries, yeah. The, you know, and then I picked up a crystal amethyst that's just the deepest purple you could ever imagine. Lots they, of uh, new age type shops, mm-hmm. metaphysical shops. But there's also that, like you're talking about, that separation between being present for what we're there for. And you almost have to separate the fact that it's, to a degree, you feel like you've been dropped off of a cruise ship. Right. You know, there's that side of it. And you kind of have to just let that be over there and go do that. We have time built into the schedule to go shop and to go play in town. And then to come back and realize that the real zest of Sedona is what happens inside. Right. Well, you'll definitely have that. There will be people almost shoulder to shoulder with you. Like, like they're stopping by to check this vortex thing off their their travel list. It's like, is this it? I don't, I don't know. Is there any signs? Does it feel like anything special? I was going to tell you, and, and I, I was going to tell the group, but I'll go ahead and tell everybody. I'll tell you since you mentioned it. When I went last year, Christmas morning, got up early, real early, like four thirty, five o'clock, went to the airport vortex was surprised that there were already cars in the parking lot. 
But I got up. There's one tree. Now it has a rope around it. Uh, they're trying to keep the footprints, you know, from right. from touching up quite so close because there are so many people to go there. But I was then you could go right up to it. I have this little camp stool that um, will be in one of the videos that kind of did an equipment list video for people. And I sat down under the juniper tree and I started to meditate. And what about 15 minutes into this, I heard a couple that were coming down the path from there's an observation area and you can take a half a mile hike down. I guess they had been up early hiking. I don't know. But here they come down this trail. And the guy's kind of big like me, you know, he's tall and broad shouldered and he, you can hear it, you know, you, you hear footsteps coming, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's, I'm talking, this is probably about 10 till six on Christmas morning. Okay. And he comes running over there and he sees me under this juniper tree and I open my eyes and I look over and he goes, where's the vortex? Where's the vortex? <laughs> And, you know, and just big and bold. And he was just, where is it? Where is it? Well, the airport vortex, if you remember, there's this real steep hill that goes right behind on the backside of it, right? And it's like, if you were to walk back there, it would be a little tipsy. And I just, the little mean side of me thought of, well, over to the, (laughs) little bit to the left, (laughs) little more. Little far, that's it right there. <laughs> you know, but but the but that's the point. The vortex is in here. Yes, the vortex is inside of us. It's not where you are if you're by this tree or that rock. The vortex is inside of us, and when that connects with the energy around you, then that's the part. That's the powerful combination. I agree, and quieting the mind and, and just change, shifting your focus to be able to tune into that vibratory eminence and be aware of the subtle energy all around you. Because it's so prevalent in Sedona, it doesn't take a lot of intention to get yourself out of the way. And I, I think I said this to you earlier, what's available to people after they visit Sedona and they intentionally connect with the earth and connect with these energies that they'll be able, it's almost like training the mind and training um, your awareness to become aware, aware of the, all the subtle energies, not only there, but everywhere else in your life. It's like you, you, it's a fine tuning of the instrument to can Now it resonates, you pick it up, you walk into a room and this doesn't feel right. You go to a restaurant and they sit you at one table. No, can you set me at that one there? I like that one. You know, it drives the waitress or the hostess kind of a little crazy, but because they, I usually never want to be where they want me to be. I'm the same way. Yeah. But you pick up, you yeah. pick up the table that has the most luminance, the like that is most attractive to you, and it may, it really doesn't make any difference to anybody else, but it makes a world of difference on your experience and how you metabolize that meal and. It's becoming that intentional about all the different little facets of your life that, and realizing that you are the creative force. Well, you and I could go on forever. <laughs> this is going to be – y'all need to just come join us, listen to Daniel and I will we'll, we'll, uh, kick stuff around. But I was at a restaurant the other day, and that very thing happened. The table behind me was empty, mm-hmm. and then four people came. And I mean, instantly you could feel the energy shift in right. that space to the point where 
the the waitress spilled the water on the table, and mm-hmm. they all vacated. And when they moved across to another table, you could feel the energy shift again. Hmm. It was incredible. It was like, whoa. And it was obviously it was a, a disruptive kind of negative energy. Right. When they came. Yes, definitely. Even to the point, like I said, where the, the waitress, you know, tumped the water over. It was powerful. In honoring that connection to energy and becoming aware of it, you get to honor yourself. And you get to honor your own presence and value in the and recognize the interplay of energy that just you showing up in a space can make all the difference in the world for someone. Just it's a supportive energy or it can be a dynamic energy. You can be impactful or you can be receiving. I'm going to spring something on you. I hadn't asked you about this, but for people that are listening and are on the bubble or not sure if this is something that they would want to do, guide them through something where they can go inside for just a minute and explore if this lights up for them or not. Well, in just thinking about the idea of going to Sedona and does it have a sense of lightness to it? Does it feel enlivening or exciting? Sure, you may have to move some things around. There might be some things to handle. But if you can get this sense of a lightness of being about it or an excitement about it, then, and you're kind of leaning in that direction. Like if it doesn't really, like if it's not interesting to you at all, then forget about it. If it doesn't intrigue you a little bit, if it doesn't spark your curiosity, leave it alone. But if it, if you're curious about it, find out more about it. And maybe in the end, these dates don't work for you. Or this particular opportunity doesn't work for you. But what does open up is the whole question on connecting more with energy and connecting more in in, in honoring yourself and putting yourself in those types of environments that are supportive and empowering for you. And if this question, if that's the only thing this question opens up, then it's a powerful question. And again, if you feel compelled or pulled to be there, and it will feel like a compelling Um, push. Embrace it. Don't question it. Move in the direction. When I teach people the fire walking, the whole big deal is not the actual walking, but knowing when you're ready to take the first step. Here you are standing in front of this bed of 1,200 degree coals. And if you feel the fear, then you're focusing on the obstacle. You're focusing on what can go wrong. But when you focus on your true intention and to, which is to walk to the other side and you focus on the benefit of this trip with the potential benefit for you. And if that enlivens you, if that sparks and wants you to pull, pull, pull yourself forward, then just fall into it and start making the steps, taking the steps in order to make it happen. And again, if you start coming up against a lot of resistance, first look inside you, what are you being resistant about? Are you resistant to honoring yourself? Are you resistant to opening yourself to new experiences? Or it could just be that this isn't going to work out for you. But it's in that whole questioning process of determining whether or not this is the right trip for you is going to open you up. And in, as soon as you make the decision, this trip, the whole intention behind it is going to start working in your life. You're going to have interesting conversations you're going to have, you know, Paul Harvey talk to you on the radio. <laughs> Weird synchronicity 
will start to happen. It it will you'll see that the universe is conspiring in your behalf in order to make this happen for you. But you have to take the first step. Man, I'm so glad you're coming. Thank you so much for this time together as well. You're a dear friend. My pleasure. We really could talk for a long time. Oh, we could. We could. If this if these were the days of tape, we were already burned up a reel. <laughs> Good thing it's digital, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but this is what the trip is going to be. We're going to be doing a lot of this. And yeah, I've put down an itinerary, but it's very much written in print and pencil. So that when these things come up and redirect us in a different direction, then, you know, this isn't to pound through some agenda. Right. In three days. This is about to experience the magic of Sedona like you've talked about. And and we will. This is going to be incredible. So if you are interested, come join us. You can send me an email and I have the details that, of the, the cost, the hotel, how to get there, all of that laid out in an email. So rather than I don't want to bring that into this space, if you're interested, contact me. And then everything that we've been talking about and what Daniel just said will unfold if it's supposed to happen. So it's thomas at subconsciousmindmastery.com or the comment box on the website at uh, subconsciousmindmastery.com. If you're interested, if, if, this, if you feel the way that Daniel just described, then shoot me an email and let's at least explore it together. I think there's two places that people could be where they should send you an email. Uh, the third place is if they have no interest, like this is no real big thrill for them, then they shouldn't even investigate it. If on one end they're completely jazzed about it and they want they like they want to find out more, they want to see if they can make it work, then they should send you an email. If they're sitting on the fence and they're not quite sure and they just need a little bit more information, they should send you an email. Because it's in that investigation, it's just opening up to the possibilities that they're going to really find out whether it is for them. I think, you know, you bring up a great point of, I mean, just a life lesson. Forget about Sedona for a second, but just a life lesson of when you do feel like leaning into something like that. This is what's happened to me with Colorado. I just leaned in and doors started opening. It was in my heart. You talk about feeling light. You talk about feeling joy. You talk about all of those expressions. Absolutely. And I just opened the door of possibility. Yes. And then the universe started to work out the details. One of my coaching assignments sometimes with people, if they have a tendency to hold themselves back in a lot of areas, the new assignment is to say yes to everything. Yeah. To every invite, to every, like they see, yeah. they see an event in the newspaper. They say, yes, they're going to make, take themselves go there and be interested in curious on who they're going to meet and who that's going to show up and what's going to open up and I've had people completely change their life around. I had a guy that was a, an artist, a, a frustrated artist, as a, a, an engineer. He started saying yes to things. And a year later, he's uh, selling pieces for $20,000 in California because he started connecting with the right people and kept talking. I said, every person you talk about, you're no longer an engineer. You're now an artist. And you keep introducing yourself that way. So say yes, say yes, say yes to everything. Absolutely. Say yes to Sedona. We'd love to have you join us. All right, we're going to cut well, this we're one. Only, we're only going to allow a certain number of people. I know. We've got a 15-passenger van, and four seats are already taken. I mean, from the get-go. So, so we have 11. Oh, yeah. 
and these seats will go fast. So that's it. We have 11 seats from the launch, and I've already been contacted by people. People are interested in this. So it is. It's working out the details. The trip will begin when you say when you commit to go. Absolutely. You and I are going to go from here and go talk about this and some other things in our life. But already I could tell from what we talked about before we hit record, um, for you and for me both, the trip is already happening. And the magic of Sedona is already happening. And it will continue until April the 25th, <laughs> you know. And then, like you said, then we'll be looking back and that will be a marker in time. Well, it, the trip will continue after you're there. Yeah. It, the energy will continue to unfold and you'll actually be viewing life and experiencing life a completely different way after the trip than you are today. Yeah. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's, that will happen. Sedona is just magical that way. So come join us. If it, if it lights you up, come join us. Absolutely. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you all for listening to us ramble here. <laughs> Two old friends that, uh, that just have a lot in common. So may, may I add just one more thing? Absolutely. Um, I had intended, since you were talking about presence, to actually give people some uh, practices that they could use in their day-to-day to um, bring up or open up their conscious awareness and their present, being present to the moment and present to their life. Uh, we don't have time to go into that, but I'll put something together in a PDF or something, and I'll let you know what the link is, and you can fill it in. Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. So a little a little pre-Sedona exercise from Daniel. Exactly. Perfect for on, on, the, on the topic of presence. You came to mind. You know, I was, I was sitting on, on, on the side of Bell Rock in a cavern hiding from the crowds. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kept, it was Daniel, 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 Daniel. So this is meant to be. All right. Listen, Thomas at subconsciousmindmastery.com. If you are interested, would love to have you join us. Thank you again. We will do more of these. I, I look forward to it. This right. is a lot of fun. Meanwhile, you know what we say at the end of all of these? No. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Definitely. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner. The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.